but they are who we thought they were. And we let them off the hook. I got baptized at uh, Lake Minnetonka. Uh, I hit a couple backflips. Playoffs? Don't talk about playoffs. You kidding me? Playoffs? I just hope we can win a game. My swag was having no swag. Hello, everyone, and welcome into another installment here of the Minnesota Sports Podcast on the 16th of November. I'm CJ Baumgartner. We're diving into all the latest in Minnesota sports here for today. And taking a look at some of the things going on in Minnesota sports, we'll touch first on the Timberwolves playing last night. They lost in a close game with Phoenix. Now, this on its face, you think, oh, it's a team that had a close loss against a good team in Phoenix, and I saw this tweet yesterday from uh, Jace Frederick. He covers the Wolves for the uh, the Pioneer Press, and uh, the Phoenix Suns, if you look, uh, they're they're doing pretty well for themselves this year. They're 10-3, and one of the better records in the NBA. They made the NBA Finals last year, all that kind of stuff. The Wolves only lost to them by three points last night, playing well enough in the second half. For them, except for the final few minutes, like there was no, there was no giant third quarter meltdown like they usually have. There was a bit of a fourth quarter one, but the point is, is they played a good Phoenix team till the very end and led at points in the final three minutes. And you say to yourself, well, this, this is good. They can build off this. But here's the thing in the NBA, you can have some of these games like you had against Denver where he lost. Some of these games are getting into Phoenix where he lost. It was close games when down to the end, you showed you can run with them. And that's great. But moral victories are just that. They're just moral victories. And they don't help when you lose to teams like New Orleans. When you lose to teams like Orlando. When you lose, I mean, I mean I, the Wolves have nine losses so far in 13 games. I can look at their schedule. If you look at the Minnesota Timberwolves schedule, some of those losses – yeah, they've played some tough teams, but they've also lost to, let's count it down, they lost to the Pelicans. They've lost to the Magic. And a couple of those games, they also got drubbed by the Clippers. I mean, they lost to the Clippers three times already this season. I mean, I just, I I don't know. I The, the biggest thing that stands out is those Magic and, Magic and, uh, the Magic and, and the Pelicans lost. Because if you take those out, Let's say that Minnesota somehow wins those games. They they beat uh, Orlando and they they beat uh, they beat New Orleans. Let's say they do that. Don't know why it's so hard for me to think of New Orleans. Let's say they do that. The Wolves all of a sudden are six and seven, and that's not great. But at least you're beating the teams you should beat. And then yeah, you're losing to some of these better teams, but you know what? You'll figure it out. Six and seven sounds a lot, I mean, obviously, it sounds a lot better than four and nine, and it just puts you in a much different position. And I think it's the way that we look at this team, because when you look at the games against New Orleans, and when you look at the games against, uh, when you look at their game against Orlando, it was the whole fourth quarter collapse kind of thing. And I think that's been the biggest thing with this team. It's just, if you look at this team, if they win those couple games, then yeah, they've lost to some good teams, but they still feel confident that they're at least not a bottom feeder team. And right now they could still be considered that. If you're the Wolves, you're still like, there's some things that we got to figure out, but we're on the right track. We're beating teams we should be. Instead of right now where it's like, yeesh, they got some problems. 
And that's the thing with the Wolves. How different do we look at them? I think we look at them a lot differently because they did have a tough stretch in their schedule. So if you look at Minnesota and you say, okay, well, maybe they're six and seven. Well, now they got some games against the Kings. That's a winnable one at home. The Spurs at home. Then you play the Pelicans at, and then you go on the road to play the Pelicans. Then you have the Hornets. The point is, is there's some winnable games on your schedule coming up. And if you were hovering around that 500 mark, well, then there's a good chance that, okay, just get our stride. If we can just hover around 500, let's bank on us getting hot at least one point in the season and just kind of hover around that and see if we can sneak in in the top 10 teams in the West. It's tough, but there's a good chance you do it. Right now at 4-9, and nine, they're going to have to rattle off some wins. And without looking too deep into the schedule, they still have some tough teams. I mean, they still play in the Western Conference. I mean, the Spurs are a team that they should beat, but they still lose to the Spurs coach. Pop still has this thing. Like I, I don't know. It's it's one of those things where it's like they have they. We, it's like the Vikings. You know, woulda, coulda, shoulda. If we would have won these couple games, and everything would have been differently, and yada yada yada. But the point is, is it's not. And you dug yourselves into this hole because that's who you are as a team. And I wanted the Wolves. I know I said earlier in the season that oh, you can't trust the Wolves to be good. Don't get any faith in them. Believe it when you see it. That still doesn't mean that I didn't want this Wolves team to be good. I wanted them to be good. I wanted them to win. But it's just that they do this year in and year out. And it's so frustrating with a team like this to where you've basically gotten to the point where you can't even sell yourself on hope. The Minnesota Twins, the Minnesota Vikings, the Minnesota Wild, they all have down seasons from time to time. And in the Vikings and Twins case, sometimes they have seasons where they just don't make the playoffs, where they're bad, you know, all that kind of stuff. But you could always resell yourself the next season. Heck, the Twins went from winning 100 games two years ago to almost losing 90. And there are Twins fans, myself included, that still think that there's a chance that this team could be competitive. And you can sell yourself on hope. But with the Minnesota Timberwolves, you have no way of selling yourself on hope with the way that this roster is constructed. And I've said it before, if Gerson Rosas wasn't fired already, he would his seat would be burning up right now. And it's just unacceptable right now because of the way this roster is constructed. Carl Anthony Towns is the only consistent offensive contributor. Anthony Edwards is still 20 years old. He's still coming along in the NBA. You know, ever, all of Minnesota is ready to crown him the next star, but he's it's still going to take some time. And all and D'Angelo Russell is inconsistent. I'm sorry, I've never been on the D'Angelo Russell bandwagon, but it's just never been it's never been the thing in terms of a consistent offensive producer. And that's the hard part. Is there outside of your you know big three or whatever you want to call them? Uh, Cat's really the only one that consistently puts up night in and night out on the offensive side of the ball. By the way, the Wolves were supposed to be a good offensive team. They struggled mightily this season on offense. Defense, though, I'll give Anthony Edwards credit. Didn't play well on the offensive side of the board. Still played well on defense, had a couple good chases, and also had over 10 rebounds. So, I mean, Anthony Edwards, the effort is there. So I think even on nights when Anthony Edwards isn't a offensive producer, he can still produce on the defensive side of the ball, or at least he's young enough, he can give the effort stuff. All that stuff is fine. It's D'Angelo Russell being inconsistent. It's this team not knowing what to do in late-game situations. Carl Anthony Towns didn't get the ball, and we'll get to this in a second, but about Carl Anthony Towns not getting the ball late. But just this team from an offensive perspective, 
is again just an, their their volume in terms of how many threes they shoot is one of the highest in the NBA. Their percentage of makes is one of the worst in the NBA, and it's infuriating because this is a team that wants to embrace analytics, that wants to be this new age offensive team and can never do it because they just don't have the players. Now, whether it's because Rosas brought in the wrong players, whether it's because that the players don't want to, aren't just hitting their shots, I don't know. This is a bad offensive team. And so with a bad offensive team, like the Wolves have been this season, at least in the 3 and D, because on top of that is the 3 and D portion of it, the play through, the make threes and play defense. You know, those veteran guys. Patrick Beverly's one of them. But the only problem is, is also the three, it's also dependent on you having guys who can get to the rim. Because if you don't have guys who can get to the rim, then teams are just going to play you out on the wing. And they're going to dare you to drive on them. They're going to play you up close, and they're going to dare you to take it to the rim. And the Wolves just aren't doing that outside of Anthony Edwards, who, again, is still 20 years old and still is very inconsistent in terms of his offensive production. So outside of him, the Wolves have nobody that can drive. And that takes away your ability to shoot threes, does it not? I mean, I again, the Wolves are getting better on defense. And I thought that if the Wolves would just get better on defense, then they would be a playoff team because their offensive production was so high and their offensive production hasn't. And that's what's gotten the Timberwolves into this, into this bind that they're in right now. And one last thing on this Wolves game, and then we'll move on, is Carl Anthony Towns did not get the ball in the final three and a half minutes or final minute or I, I don't want to, I don't have the official stat in front of me, but the point is, is late in the game, in the final minute, you know, the Wolves tried to get to him and they could not get him the ball. And I don't think that that's coaching as much maybe as it should be. I don't know, because I, I think, uh, I, I think that uh, when it comes to, the Wolves, I don't think it's been coaching because it's been with Thibodeau. It's been with Ryan Saunders. It's now been with Finch where we all look and go, why isn't the ball in Carl Anthony Towns' hands late in the game? Now, maybe it's because teams are going after him and you kind of want to, you know, do the red herring and make him think all that, you know, uh, you know, get teams off their rhythm or, or find, you know, go to the underhanded option. But they can't get the ball to Cat. And I'm starting to think that it's an execution thing. And maybe that does fall on coaching a little bit. But the, the Wolves can never get the ball into Carl Anthony Towns' hands for the game-winning shot. It always be guys like Wiggins or maybe guys like D'Angelo Russell. And it's like, why are we subjecting it to this? Get the ball to Carl Anthony Towns. He's your best offensive player. He's your most consistent offensive player. Just get him the ball and make things happen. Trust him to be your best player. I know he's a big man. I know that presents challenges, especially in the modern NBA. But just get him the ball and let things happen. He's a good shooter. He doesn't just score in the paint like Giannis. He steps out onto the three-point line and can shoot. Once again, the Timberwolves being the Timberwolves. And again, until proven otherwise, the Timberwolves will always Timberwolf onto the Timberwolfing Timberwolf. I don't know. It's not great. Not great, Bob. At least the uniforms are cool, though. At least the uniforms are cool, though. All right, let's look into... I, I didn't mean that sarcastically, by the way. I actually think that those uniforms are sweet. Uh, but looking to now the Vikings, let's now talk about this game over the weekend. Didn't get to do a podcast yesterday, so we're going to dive into one right now, and we're going to do a stock up, stock down. First stock up, we're talking about Eric Kendricks, and he had one interception, one sack, and eight tackles, and I know PFF didn't necessarily have the best grade for him, but I'm not going to worry about it because 
those there's some games where you can defer to the grading system and then there's some games where you just defer to the eye test this is the one where you defer to the eye test because man he was great an interception a sack eight tackles the point of this is extend Eric Kendricks for life. Extend him for life. Do not let him ever leave U.S. Bank Stadium and or TCO Performance Center. Daniil, Daniil Hunter is important. He's very important to this defense. But equally more important, and if not more important, is the impact that Kendricks has on this defense week in and week out because he's the heartbeat. And Daniil Hunter is an edge rusher. Edge rushers are one of the most paid positions in football, certainly one of the most paid positions on the defense. And Eric Kendricks, I mean, when they lost Daniil Hunter last season, they didn't get any sacks. But when they lost when they lost Eric Kendricks, they didn't just not give up sacks. When they lost Eric Kendricks, I mean, see the Saints game last year. They did not play well. They gave up six rushing touchdowns on Christmas Day. I mean, I... I don't know. Both Daniil Hunter and Eric Kendricks are, not, are important. I'm not trying to say that Daniil Hunter isn't important to this defense. He is. But if you had to tell me you get Eric Kendricks or Daniil Hunter for the next five years, I, I might be more inclined to take Eric Kendricks. And I love both players. I I mean, I, I don't know. I think Eric Kendricks just has that ability. And I, I don't know. I, just, I, I think Eric Kendricks is just a better player than – Daniel Hunter, but not in terms of just raw ability, in terms of just production and, and all that kind of stuff. I don't know. It's it's like picking out two sports cars. Like either one is going to be a good option and you are going to be set in either one. You just have to decide which one you're preferring. I would take Eric Hendricks. I mean, just his he's a linebacker, so he's roaming around on the field. He covers. There are people uh, who looked at the film of his interception for Kendricks and they're like, what is Herbert doing on this throw? And the answer is most quarterbacks, all quarterbacks, don't have linebackers that can cover running backs, wide receivers, whatever, in the middle of the field the way that Eric Kendricks does. And that's how he gets his interceptions. He can just cover ground that other linebackers can't and other quarterbacks don't account for. Let's look at a stock down now. K.J. Osborne. And I don't mean stock down is like he's he specifically is playing terrible, but where the heck has he gone? I mean, we need a K.J. Osborne sighting here. He's fallen off the face of the earth. And I'm going to gonna show you here, when you look at K.J. Osborne's stats here over the last few weeks, it's not like he's been benched or anything. It's not like he has just been barred from public life or he's been, you know, whatever, uh, banned from private society. When you look at his last few games, he had one target, no receptions. When you look at Baltimore, he had two targets, one reception for 20 yards. Dallas, three, three targets for two receptions and 10 yards. And those are the three games following, by the way, his six reception, 78-yard, one-touchdown performance where he was averaging over 11 yards a target. And by the way, an 85% catch percentage. So I I don't know. I, I look at uh, look at the way that the, the Vikings have been using uh, all the stuff. I just think that yeah, that's disappeared off the face of the earth, and I really, really don't know why. He's been valuable as a wide receiver three. The Vikings have seen that. He's put up production. And I think it's more on the Vikings needing to get involved, maybe on getting plays for him, or maybe just on Kirk Cousins needing to look his way more. I don't know. But K.J. Osborne is a solid wide receiver three. And wide receiver three games can be spotty. I mean, Jarius Wright was the classic wide receiver three for the Minnesota Vikings for a long time. And, you know, there'd just be up and down games. You pop up and you go away. But it's been the last couple weeks now 
and they're one and two in those last three games. I mean, you just have to find K.J. Osborne more. But then again, the Vikings are having issues getting the ball to Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen before last week when Jefferson finally went off. So they really need to – I mean, they got to figure it out. But they have a lot of stuff to figure out on distribution on offense. But K.J. Osborne has definitely felt the brunt of that. We're going to go stock down. Stock up here. Let's go to the Vikings' playoff chances. And well, 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 how the turntables have – well – you know that quote from The Office. They might sneak in after all the Vikings. They might just get in there. So let's take a look at the playoff picture. This is uh, from NFL.com, and it has the actual playoff picture. It shows you which teams would make the playoffs if the season started today. And as we wait for it to load, the Vikings are would not be in the playoffs if the season started today. But that win against the Chargers, I was almost about to call them San Diego, but I didn't, uh, saved their season. It really did. Because if you're three and six, it's over. Four and five, you got a chance. We'll talk a little bit more about the schedule in a second. But the Vikings right now, there are seven playoff teams. And if the season were to end today, the Vikings would be team number eight. So they'd be the last team out if you want to go NCAA tournament uh, standards here. And they're competing with, looking at the teams that are in the wild card, it is the Rams, the Saints, and the Panthers. So those are the three teams. It looks like, barring, I mean, L.A. still in the hunt. L.A. can still win the division. But it's either L.A. or Arizona. So barring an epic collapse from either of the two teams, that five spot looks locked up to go to one of those two uh, spots. Now the six and the seven seed are a little bit more up for grabs. The Saints are five and four. They just got rolled by, uh, by, New, uh, by Tennessee, excuse me, and... Then you have the Carolina Panthers, who are at 5-5. Five and five. The Vikings own the tiebreaker over them, so they have that. Now, the Panthers haven't had their bye yet. The Vikings have. So it'll, I, I think the Panthers might be on uh, – they still have a Week 10 matchup, and then they have a bye, I think. I don't, I'm not quite sure when their bye specifically is. It's very late in the uh, in the season. But uh, with with that, the 6 and 7 spots are still up for grabs. New Orleans is starting Trevor Simeon at quarterback. Carolina is starting Cam Newton at quarterback, and I know it's a cool story, and I do like Cam Newton, and I'm glad that he was able to go back home home to Carolina and have that game, but I still think that Cam has major issues with his mechanics and with his gameplay that I don't think that rule is good enough to fix. Otherwise, he would have tried to fix him last year. This feels like the Panthers are just, uh, Panthers are just kind of grasping at straws to get something figured out because now that teams have another week and another, kind of figure out how they want to use Cam Newton – it's going to be interesting because keep in mind uh, they beat Arizona and Arizona – they beat Arizona, second team to do that, but Arizona didn't have Kyler Murray or DeAndre Hopkins again. So I don't you – know, just kind of chalk it up to – I would chalk it up to that more than I would chalk it up to the Cam Newton is back and the Panthers are rolling. So I expect that seven seed to be up for grabs for sure and potentially the six seed. Now the 49ers got a win over the Rams. That slingshots them back into this conversation. The Falcons, Eagles – Washington football team, Giants, Seahawks, Bears, Lions. I'm counting all these teams really out of the equation. Um, so really it's – I'm even going to count the Falcons out of it. So really the 49ers and Vikings are the last two teams out, and they're trying to get in. And the Saints are well coached as much as I hate to admit it. So there's a good chance that they sneak in because their team is just better. Their defense is good in New Orleans. Carolina could fall. They're a very up-and-down team. 
Now, maybe since they've shaken off Sam Darnold, maybe they figure out a way to win. I don't know. But I still think that there's a good shot the Vikings could sneak back in on that seven seed. And the Vikings are four and five. And let's take a look at that roller coaster of hope and despair again that is the Vikings' schedule. They're four and five right now. If they beat the Packers, and that's a big if. But keep in mind, it's a division rival, Green Bay. Most years you split with them. We'll give it a split. Then you're five and five. You go on the road, you lose to the 49ers. I think Shanahan knows how to beat Kirk Cousins. So we'll go, the Vikings are five and six. They'll beat the Lions, they'll be six and six. So in the last two seasons, they'll be 500 going into the last month of the season and a chance to really take the bull by the horns. And they have a, for the most part, favorable schedule. The more, I, I can't tell how to look at the Steelers one because the Steelers are, they just don't play like a good team, but they still find ways to win. So I don't know how to read the Steelers. It's also on a Thursday night. So I'm still going to give it a loss. That makes them six and seven. Bears is a win. So they're seven and seven. And then it's Rams at Packers Bears. And that's going to be the really hard part in the schedule. Now, Mike Zimmer's always gotten to Matthew Stafford, by the way, for the most part. I think they've only lost to the Lions maybe four times since Mike Zimmer. They've, Zimmer's only lost to Stafford four times, I think, in his uh, career since being the Vikings head coach. So he might know how to game plan to beat it. It'll be at home, so that'll help the Vikings. I still think they lose. So they're 7-8. and eight. Then they have the Packers. They'll lose at Lambeau Field 7-9. and nine. And keep in mind, 17 games, 8-9. and nine. Is 8-9 and nine good enough to get into the playoffs? In this NFC, it might be. We'll have to see. That's Do the Saints and the Panthers have three wins in them, or do the 49ers have four? Keep in mind the Vikings own the tiebreaker over the Panthers. They'd have to win four. Do they? I don't know. I haven't dug deep into their schedules, but it's an interesting uh, it's an interesting thought experiment. So let's look at now our last stock down, and that's Garrett Bradbury. And Mason Cole is the guy the Vikings traded for over the offseason. And a bunch of us thought, oh, great, they're trying to just plug in some rando on the line, a guard and whatever, and a... Well, he's actually playing better than the Vikings' first-round pick. So Mason Cole has outplayed Garrett Bradbury. Now, Bradbury's been hurt in two straight games. Mason Cole has a 68 PFF grade, 68 out of 100. No penalties, no sacks in two games. And keep in mind, they still have Linval Joseph in L.A., and the last game they played Baltimore, which has a good defensive front. So... He's, he's held his own, I think is the biggest thing. And the one of the things that has gotten to Kirk the most this season has been pressure coming from up the middle, specifically because teams know to attack Garrett Bradbury, who according to Pro Football Focus has a 56 grade out of 100. So a whole letter lower, if you're going on a grading scale, whole letter lower than Mason Cole has been in two games. He's given up only one sack this season, but you don't usually expect your your uh your middle uh your middle lineman to give up sacks as much it's more your edge rushers um and I'm not paying for pro football focus because I'm poor so uh I can't see his pressures allowed but it's still the whole point of you know Bradbury's also given some penalties he's tied for fourth in the most amount of penalties uh with five this season uh I it's just one of those things where the Garrett Bradbury experiment I think has failed the Minnesota Vikings. Now, Mike Zimmer has said that they've had conversations about uh, keeping Cole there. Now, they're going to be a little coy about it. Zimmer's not going to go out there and say anything too much because Garrett Bradbury's first-round pick. 
So the Vikings obviously have a lot invested in him. But if you're Mike Zimmer and you're fighting for your job, move over, Garrett. Mason Cole's starting. So that'll be interesting to look at with the Vikings. This has been Stock Up and Stock Down, which we do have the podcast following a Vikings game here on the Minnesota Sports Podcast. And one last thing I want to say about the Vikings, and I'll say this about Mike Zimmer himself, is that as much crap as everything the team is going through, as much as he goes through all the stress, all just the stuff that gets dumped on him, and some of it, his own blame, a good chunk of it, his own blame. I'm not going to say it just happens to him out of nowhere. But he's he always gets his players to play. Outside of 2016, where there was that cornerback mutiny uh, in 2015, his first year as head coach, all the adversity with the Adrian Peterson stuff and, and whatnot, he got his guys to play. And for the most part in 2016, they had to deal with Teddy's injury. They had to deal with injuries all over the field. They had to deal with Zimmer's. Zimmer had to deal with his own eye injury. And to get them to play up until the last two games of the season is still pretty pretty dang good. So, and again, Zimmer partially is to blame for getting his players to quit on him in that 2016 season. But 2017, when Bradford goes down, he keeps the team together. They keep playing hard. They keep winning. You look at 2018, the team still fights till the end. You look at 2019, the team rallied back from a 2-2 two and two start. Looked like the sky was falling for them to rattle off a bunch of wins in the middle of the season. You look at 2020. When they started one, when there was that one and four, one and five point the Vikings were in, they dug themselves all the way back to six and six. Say what you want about Zimmer's teams, he still gets them to fight. Guys still play for Zim. Now, whether it's because, you know, there's just too much talent on this team to officially bottom out, you know, so they're still going to keep winning games, even if they are okay with Zimmer leaving, I don't know. But he hasn't lost the locker room to the point where guys just aren't willing to play. To where you get to that 2011 game at the Metrodome where Aaron Rodgers marches the Packers in there and they just light your team up and you don't care because you want your head coach fired. I think the Vikings are going to avoid that this Sunday, which after the Dallas game and especially after the Baltimore game, you're like, is that going to happen again? Is history going to repeat itself? It's not. Zimmer with that win going on the road into L.A. It's more of a primetime game because it's at the 3 o'clock time slot. You go in, you beat a team with a winning record in Los Angeles, and now you head back home and with a matchup against Green Bay. Zimmer's, I think, saved his job for the rest of the season, I think, with this win. But especially if the team beats the Packers, he's not getting fired until after the season, whenever that is. So I think Zimmer's best-case scenario, if you're Mike Zimmer, you know you're safe until the end of the season. I think he probably would have been outside of just completely losing the locker room because the Wolves don't really want to do that. They probably prefer to keep him through the end of the season just because you don't really have anybody that is going to really take the reins or you don't have anybody that really is going to uh, be a guy, a head coach material, I should say. So Zimmer's best case scenario is to scrape in. If 8-9 and nine is what it takes to get into the playoffs, then you get in at 8-9. and nine. And then Zimmer's hope is to coach his butt off, have a New Orleans-type game where you come and you go into a team that you have no business beating and you go in and beat them and you can basically drop your you-know-what on the desk and say, fire me if you want. I'll go somewhere and I'll be okay. Teams are going to want me again. And that could be the case. I don't. I think it's unlikely still. I still think the Vikings miss the playoffs. 
But that Zimmer's best case scenario is to just scrape into the playoffs, do just enough to get in, win a playoff game, and hope that you can convince ownership that, hey, we're turning a corner, just give us another year to invest in this defense, our offense is still producing, and we'll take it from there. Maybe we get a rookie quarterback, and now all of a sudden we have money to spend again, and we kind of reset the cycle and whatnot. So that's Zimmer's best case scenario if he wants to stick around in Minnesota. But I will say this. I will respect Zimmer for always getting his guys to show up and work considering the Delvin Cook stuff this week and the injuries to everybody. Dakota Dozier going to the hospital for COVID and pneumonia. Just all that stuff. So props to Zimmer for getting his team to come out and play a good game against a team in LA that is sliding but is still a good football team and they beat a good quarterback. So now let's take a look here. Lastly, let's finish it up with the Gophers. And the Gophers, the Gophers, the Gophers, the Gophers, man. <sighs> PJ, again, really? I mean, a better performance than last week. I'll give you that. But the same result is you still lose. Lose a game that you really need to win. You have a vanilla game plan and poor execution in critical spots. You don't trust your quarterback, plain and simple. But at the same time, why would you? You know, earlier in the season, I was like, do you trust Tanner Morgan? Like, give him the ball to do more things against some of these bad teams. And then now you play some of the good teams, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, no. Like, what? Like, what is going on? Like, he's just playing bad right now, and I don't know what – I don't know if he's just plainly has progressed. I don't know if teams have figured him out. I don't know if it's Mike Sanford Jr., Either way, this Gophers team is sliding. They've lost two in a row now. They're going to play Indiana on the road for the first time in like eight years, but they still should get a win against the Hoosiers. They really should. So then that gets them to, what, seven and three? They're probably finished the season eight and four. So congrats, everybody, to your quick lane bowl of Detroit champion Minnesota Gophers. I mean, they had a chance. I, I don't think that they would have gotten to the Big Ten championship game. I still think they lose to Iowa and or Wisconsin, but that that Illinois loss, I think, just set you up because now all of a sudden you go from, you could have made a New Year's Bowl game. You really could have. You could have snuck into the Outback Bowl again if you got like second place in the Big Ten West. You still could have made it, and this time you don't. You're going to get the Quick Blaine Bowl. You're going to get the Pinstripe Bowl. You're going to get the Music City Bowl. You're going to get good enough bowl games, but you're not going to get into the big ones that are really going to make people care about your last game of the season. And PJ is getting outcoached, and he's getting outplayed, and he's his quarterback's getting outplayed, and PJ still wants him to come back. Nobody is uh, behind Tanner Morgan to take over. I mean, especially who do you have? Zach Anikstead? No, you have uh, the backup quarterback whose name escapes me who comes in on those Wildcats. You don't have anything right now, and you're also scared to make a move because at this point you're just married to Tanner Morgan. Everything is just a mess for this Gopher program right now, and the worst part is we really – I mean, unless the backup, uh, the Wildcat quarterback is something that they can use, unless he's something that somebody that can come in. They really don't have a ton of options. I'm not sure what the recruiting class looks like in terms of upcoming quarterbacks, but nobody that the Gopher fan base is necessarily buzzing about. So the Gophers are just kind of stuck right now, and we'll talk about them later in the week. But the whole point is he had a rivalry game, P.J. Fleck. He, he had the win against Penn State. Great. That was awesome. His best win as a head coach outside of maybe the Outback Bowl. He also won the Axe. That was already three years ago. 
and he's got to figure out what to do because if he doesn't win at this, if he wins the axe, he can at least buy back some sympathy. You go uh, eight and four, and you kind of, or uh, yeah, eight and four, and you figure things out. But right now, it's just not been going well, especially in this late season collapse that the Gophers have had. Well, all right, we're going to be back tomorrow with more sports to talk about here in Minnesota, including some Twins free agency news that's coming up tomorrow on the Minnesota Sports Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Minnesota Sports Podcast. You can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Be sure to leave a five-star review and share the podcast on social media to help spread the word.